We're, we're elitist here on the Refactored Podcast. We're not going to address this. Your faith in humanity is uh, both glorious and woefully misplaced. Welcome back to the Refactor Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each day. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 74, recorded on July 12th, 2022. And a belated happy 4th to you, sir. Happy Independence Day. As you can see, as our listeners can clearly see on this audio format, this audio I have set now. my background as the uh, the first image from the James Webb Telescope because ah. it's friggin' awesome. I don't know if you've seen this. I don't know if anybody in our audience is geeking out as hard as I am over this, uh, but this is some seriously cool-ish, and I am jazzed. Mm. Okay, I, I did not realize you were a, um, you, you were much of the uh, astronomer. Are you, are you, do, you, do you have the, uh, do you pull the telescope out in the, in the summer? Pull the telescope out, look at the stars. Convex lines? No, um, it's I. I'm a huge, uh, not not as big on astronomy uh, historically. Although my son seems to have an interest, so I may I may get a little more into um, into it. Uh, I'm just a huge physics nerd, and uh, mm -hmm. I think um, cosmology and astrophysics are just mind bendingly awesome. And uh, this being evidence for stuff that some smart guy said was going to happen 120 years ago. And also said that he wouldn't have the technology in his lifetime to prove some of the, the uh, to to validate, to test some of the predictions his theory made. And in the last 10 years, we started doing some of those things. And uh, now, now I'm it's not, awesome. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that I don't know any of the references that you just made. So for the sake of. The audience, for the sake of our audience, who who may, may not, not know, be a physics nerd, who may not yeah. have a damn clue what you just were talking about, you know, who may not be yeah. the same astronomy nerd. Why don't you give a little background on who this dude was 120 years ago and what we started doing and what's so amazing? You know, for, audience, for the for the audience, for the audience, for the audience, for the audience, audience. Yes, yes. So 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 to the audience. Yes, I will say one of the one of the most notable features of the image, um, and we will link this in the show notes. It's a high. It's like a 4K. It's a high res image. Um, it and by pretty. the way, when you see it, it's pretty. when you see it, keep in mind that the, the image that was taken that you'll see in linked in the show notes, um, for reference, all of what you see in that image is a section of the sky. I think ours put it well, um, about as large in your field of view as a grain of sand held at arm's length. So when you see the image, just keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> this is a really deep field shot. Uh, what I'm talking about, one of the most notable features of the image is how things seem to be curved in a weird way. Mm -hmm. uh, things seem to be stretched out, and that's a phenomenon called gravitational lensing. Um, if you've ever looked across um, down, a, down a, a blacktop street or across the hood or roof of a car on a hot day, it looks like the air is wavy. Um, that is actually the light from the things you're looking at passing through an area of heated air by the hood or the road surface. Um, and that change in air density actually bends the light or bends how you see the light as it as it comes to your eyeballs. That's why things look wavy in the summertime. Um, 
what I was referencing uh, was one of the predictions of general relativity uh, was something called gravitational waves um, that uh, there were big news articles about a couple of years ago. Basically, this idea that, um, well, gravity can have waves kind of like sound or water, uh, like ripple through the fabric of these, these, these changes in the fabric of space-time that propagate outward in a wave-like fashion. And, and at the time, during his life, Einstein said, like, I, we don't have the technology to measure this. We don't have the technology sensitive to measure this, and I don't know if we ever will, but this, is, this, this follows from my theories. This follows from the math that I have done. Um, and then fast forward, you know, what, uh, 70 years almost past his, his death, mm -hmm. we finally got the proof. We finally validated one of those, one of those, um, untested hypotheses, one of those untested predictions of the, the, theory the, fact, of general that it's, relativity. the fact that there, that it's got this circular effect that you mean. That's the gravitational saying. waves, yeah. Right. What, what you see in what you see as the 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 uh, smearing in the image from the James Webb tub—that's just gravitational lensing. We've known that forever in a day. That's nothing. That's something he predicted, and we knew back then. Okay. Um, so then, what's yeah, the thing? And that's in, what are we? Proving so basically, from that's caused then? by that's caused by something very massive, like a big black hole or giant galaxy cluster between you and what's in the image. And the mm -hmm. gravity of that thing being in between you and the image is distorting what you see of the background. Again, kind of like the wavy lines over the hot car on a, on a sunny day. Mm -hmm. um, not not the same as the gravitational waves. You can't see those. Okay, um, so you but so but how do we, okay? So I'm, I get the gravitational lensing. I get the circular thing. You said that we proved something out. We just proved something out from Einstein. What was the, it wasn't the gravitational lensing thing then it was well this no this does I mean general relativity like relativity does predict the gravitational lensing and that is on full display in this image it's not the first image with gravitational lensing oh okay no, but that's, all right yeah. um, I may have I may have I may have made it sound like this image is new proof of something formally unproven that that wouldn't be correct gotcha okay so it's just yeah. that it's just the it's just further evidence of the gravitational the evidence of gravitational lensing is what's in right. this art. It, yeah. It's and it's, it's picture. something that like a lot of people are going to see this image mm -hmm. in the next few weeks because it's something to be seen it is and cool may not immediately make sense why things look smeared in right. a circular pattern like this. Right. Um, and there's a bunch of other cool things on display. There's redshift and all kinds of things you can, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm geeking out over here. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're, this is awesome. Glad you're enjoying your, your, your geek out. You huge, huge dork. Because obviously, I am a big, yeah. I'm a big space nerd. Obviously, of the two of us, you are the huge dork. That is that much is evident. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I um, let's see. Uh, I had uh opportunity recently to pick back up uh Bootstrap and CSS and page templating in general as a, as a concept. And it's not something that we had spoken about recently. And, uh, I, uh, was reminded and, you know, wanted to, uh, pay it forward that if you're not using some kind of baseline 
open source CSS framework for your site or your application, if it's web-based, you are 100% doing yourself a disservice. Not even, is, forget doing it wrong, just doing yourself a massive disservice if you're not using one of those. Are you aware of anybody that's not doing that here yes. in the year of our Lord 2022? Because yes. I, that seems sus. It is. Nope. I, uh, I can speak from immediate personal experience that not everyone uses <sighs> these things. Oh um, my gosh. It is. It that's, is. That's sad. That's sad. That's, that's just, uh, that's a waste. So what, that's a shame. Y- yes. Uh, so the, if you are, I, I think that they have, they have established themselves quite well, but I do not think they have the prevalency that you and I would suspect they have based on our experience with them. So uh, for anyone who's rolling their own HTML or CSS or getting hand rolled HTML or CSS from a design company or, you know, a a firm that's, you know, building templates and things for you. Those services, by the way, are awesome too. I'm not knocking that, but undergirding all of that, there should be, and there are available a number of open source libraries. Bootstrap is probably the most well-known, but there are literally a hundred of them now um, focused in different languages and different build structures and things like that that are designed to give you out of the box a clean workable slate for building your pages. Um, They will normalize things so that appearances and layouts are consistent across browsers. Less of an issue uh, these days since, uh, you know, IE11 was finally officially and completely deprecated. God send that browser to the you know the 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 browser graveyard in the sky um but uh there's still inconsistencies between browsers and these frameworks will establish a, a baseline for you they will give you uh things like uh grid layouts and and flex box layouts so that uh things stretch appropriately to fill the page or uh are laid out in a a nice, concise, consistent way across across the page. Um, there's all kinds of functionality that they come with, and uh, yeah, they they standardize they standardize all of the all of the default look and feel across browsers and systems. They they solve immediately. They solve for all of the reactivity um, and relative sizing and all that kind of stuff. And they just give you a toolbox of stuff that you don't don't. Don't reinvent the, that wheel, man. Like it's round enough. Just go get Bootstrap <laughs> or Material or Foundation. It's a bazillion of them. Mm-hmm. Go just if you're not, I, I can't. I can't imagine anybody here's listening that doesn't doesn't use those as force I, of habit at this point. Again, I I don't. I I think you are overestimating their 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 prevalence. I, yes, I think I think very highly of our audience. So it <laughs> may be the case that. Okay, so let's have a conversation then, under the assumption, not our audience. That other audience, yeah, some, other, some, some other, other audience. audience, right, right, yeah. right. Not, 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 not me, or I mean them, not them, them. but some, some other the, them, other them who might not know, right? Okay, let's assume we're talking to that them instead about this, okay, and and and, and walk through, you know, some of these, some of these uh, uh, benefits and and how they help you because it's, it goes beyond simply the baselines. There's actually 
layers of benefit on top of these things. So standard across browsers, great. Um, I think Flexbox and grid layouts deserve their own special call out because of their. So standardization is one. Yes. Layout is what you're talking about. That's a that's a big boon. Huge. And responsivity. Responsivity. Uh, besides already solving for all of the widgets and tooltips and notices and everything you're going to wind up inventing anyway. Um, is, no. there, is there another category of, of win? So when you say responsivity, meaning if I display it on a desktop, it appears one way. If I shrink it down and I'm now on a tablet, it might actually change the layout to be more optimized for a tablet. Yeah, you get a, you get a nice a, you get a, a nice full menu on desktop and you get a, a hamburger on mobile, right? Like the refactor.work, you can go to refactor.work and true. see more of our excellent work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, I think we use Bootstrap it's for responsive, that one, right? yes. It's Bootstrap. Bootstrap, I think, yeah. It's Bootstrap, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I built the site. I'm, I don't know why I'm asking you. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking you. I, I'm almost certain it's Bootstrap. Um, yeah, and and you know if you if you resize your browser, you know it the the page layout reacts to that. So so responsivity is big, standardization is big, and then um, and layout, you know, so you get grids or flex boxes or or columns and all that kind of stuff that tends to be tricky. Sticky headers and footers, you know, mm-hmm. sticky nav nav it solves for, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's a little annoying because sometimes the syntax is a little. Uh, each one has know. their own flavor a little bit, just like any language each one, you have to learn. Yeah, each one has their own flavor of being a pain in my ass. But ultimately, <laughs> it's it's much less a pain than hand-rolling any of it. Like, you just don't do it. I just, I, I mean, don't do it. <laughs> right. You don't have to. You, you get a consistent baseline that you can, you can work from. And it allows you, it, it usually um, builds in some things that are more, that are naturally more complicated. Uh, and that we had traditionally relied on JavaScript to handle, but you don't necessarily need JavaScript to do things like drop-down menus. You know, you mm-hmm. actually can do a fairly uh, compelling drop-down menu navigation style without a lick of JavaScript. Now, if you add JavaScript, you get to do additional magic, but you don't need it necessarily. And yeah, but we've also have. I mean, like, are we are we a little bit past the days where we have to spend a whole lot of time hand wringing about JavaScript being on? No, I don't think. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just simply f- f- if you're if you if the them remember that other the other audience, them the other, other them. audience right if that other audience yeah. is still hand rolling drop downs hand rolling CSS hand rolling layouts drop downs are probably going to be a common source of consternation. They were always a pain in my butt until I until I discovered Bootstrap. And so, well, and there's a and there's a there's a more of like an egghead argument, like a nerd fight argument there. Even like mm. the lower down you can push stuff, the more efficient it's going to be. Correct, right? Exactly. So if I can do something in CSS, whoa, my chair just broke. If I Wait. can do something in CSS <laughs> that used to take JavaScript, if I can do something in HTML, that's the preference, right? If I right. can't do it in pure HTML, then I, I want to use jo- uh, CSS. Yeah, you if really I can't should do it in program. CSS, I want to use JavaScript. A program in HTML. Just like all those script kitties, you know, program HTML. Please send your hate mail to Frank at refactor.work. HTML programming language. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, the lower down you can push stuff. That's, and that's, and that's been enabled entirely by the browser. So it was not always possible to do a drop down in in pure CSS. Um, And that's, but I think we are. Standard has evolved. And I mean, it continues. 
one of the other big benefits of these things is the customizability, right? Mm -hmm. So you can just take the standard template. If you just want a blog to publish some info, you don't care. Great. It looks readable and it, it, and it is, uh, now you have to work for it. It's not like out of the box, like you do the bare minimum and you get it. But um, accessibility is a big thing that these things solve for. They give you tools to, pardon me, they give you tools to help uh, facilitate accessibility. Uh, but customizability, right? I want to change the default background color, default text color or size or whether corners are rounded or all of this, all these little knobs and and knobs to turn and levers to pull. Um, usually there's a way to do that with some CSS preprocessor, you know, SAS or, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. That's yep. another big benefit. Yeah. A lot of them use, okay, so that's, um, uh, it's a separate technology, but a lot of these, uh, frameworks will use a, um, and a CSS preprocessor. You, you use the term oh. and I wanted to dig into that a little bit because, um, again, you can hand roll stuff and. Um, you, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again, our, maybe for the other audience, that our other, audience, that other audience, it's not right. our not audience. Ours. I'm sorry, but nobody in our audience has hand rolled plain CSS since probably 2012. I certainly hope so. It has been a decade since it was, it's a decade ago. It became idiotic to not use a CSS <laughs> preprocessor. Right. Right. Like that. You were an idiot a decade ago if you weren't doing. It. I know our audience. Not our are, audience. The other audience other are a bunch of idiots. Right. They are a bunch of idiots, right? Yeah. Who are still doing it. So if you're part of that other audience, a don't CS- be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. A CSS preprocessor t- is a uh It's way- a less dumb way of doing CSS. It's a less dumb way of doing CSS. It's it's usually uh it looks a bit more like a true programming language. You can do things like inheritances and mix-ins some of them actually have well that's basically that's basically all it gives you variables and inheritance but uh, just that alone is huge now you can do some other stuff too but those two things alone are the foundation for completely transforming your style sheet experience i mean it's i I sound like a sale i'm gonna shut up i sound like a commercial sorry (laughs) so the idea now 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 (laughs) so uh you know Normally with, with CSS, you know, when you do your declarations, you can do a, a, a nesting declaration so that you are defining yeah. a specific style, but you have to, in the style, you actually have to ex- expound all that out. I go from, you know, whatever my top level is, let's say it's the body, and then I go into, into a div with a specific class or ID, and then I go to another div underneath of it, and I, and I spell all that out. Inside of these CSS preprocessors, for example, instead of spelling that out, you actually have bracketed nesting. opening you can opening nest. and closing yeah. nesting and then once the processor runs it actually does that that clean yeah. i say clean in air quotes but you know, tradi- you know true css it unrolls it unrolls, it unrolls it. It. yeah right yeah. um and so you don't have to spell all that out over and over and over again for every single one of your declarations you just open up you know for everything underneath of this bracket or underneath of this specific element Here's all the styles that are that are going to fit, and um, you, you you it's much faster. You you don't repeat yourself. I de- I define my font styles once. I define my colors once. I define all that stuff. Yeah, it it allows you to more effectively maintain a single source of truth. Yep. Now, which I mean, and then some on. of them to help facilitate that will that will actually include um, uh, some processing logic, uh, mathematical logic, uh, for things like padding and margins and you know you can get right. you can so you, you can, can define your normal font 
And then you can define a bold class that's font size times two or, you know, whatever you want to exactly. do. There's, there's cool stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Or if you're doing your, your, if you're doing your reactiveness, uh, you know, if you want the margin to, <clears throat> excuse me, you want the margin to change as you, as you go down in your responsiveness to smaller sizes, you can so, shrink oh, it by but, a certain but, percentage. But, but Frank, well then, but then I can't just write the CSS and push it to my website. Right. Yeah. Okay. It does. It takes more tooling, right? There's yes, tool creep in this. So if mm -hmm. you're going to use a CSS preprocessor, this stuff's not magic people, right? You've got to have the toolkit locally. So you're going to have some program that you can run some, some CLI program, or uh, maybe the fancy kids have an IDE plugin that will take, uh, you know, a SAS file and convert it to see, you need something to actually transpile that into actual CSS to be deployed. But mm -hmm. again, for the last decade, you've also been minimizing your assets and optimizing. Right. So, right. so you already have a toolkit in place to minify your CSS, maybe even gzip it, right? You're already doing these things. This just becomes another step in the pipeline. Um, and they run actually for the CSS ones like super fast. Like they, they do yeah, not add uh, you're not you're not the what is the xkcd it's it's an older one now it's, it's an older meme but it checks out it's an older code sir but it checks out the one where uh he's they're they're sword fighting on their chairs with like toilet paper rolls Com and then the boss comes out like what are you guys doing like oh we're waiting for it to compile, compile. he's like oh okay carry on <laughs> um <laughs> You know, so it, it doesn't it doesn't add a headache to your deployment process or anything. It's, it's not really headache quick. that shouldn't already be there. Um, right. Again, you've already got a pipeline in place. Yeah. You should, right. Right. <laughs> um, most of them are my built God, in. That other audiences. So dumb. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Such a dumb <laughs> other audience. Um, <laughs> and, and for I mean, the most common CSS precompiler is SAS these days. That seems to be the one yeah, that's SAS running out. One. Uh, SAS one in so. CSS like uh, like TypeScript seems to have won in in mm -hmm. JavaScript. Yeah, um, actually SAS. Because I was going to bring that up. Do you know if Coffee is still a thing? Uh, coffee Script is still around. Yes, you can it's still, still coffee script, Which I for I anybody that doesn't know, I think I may script. be dating myself there. Probably. Uh, I think it was probably some Pythonistas went and they developed a similar again for this other audience that's so dumb they're not already doing this. Um, you can do the same thing with JavaScript that we're talking about with CSS, right? Um, use a precompiler. It's it really a transpiler, but but essentially it allows you to write JavaScript uh, at sort of a higher level or abstract some of the things about JavaScript that make it JavaScript and make it the thing that we Ugh. all hate. Um, and CoffeeScript was one of these, right? So TypeScript, a lot of our audience will be familiar. The other audience won't, but our audience will be familiar with TypeScript. Um, it adds classes and typing to JavaScript and makes it generally a little less awful to, to, to deal with because nobody wants to deal with it. Um, CoffeeScript was similar. Um, I think it did add classes and, and mm -hmm. things like this, but, but CoffeeScript was the brainchild of some Pythonistas or somebody of that ilk because um, it was like white space indent sensitive. Indent sensitive, yeah. But it was so... It was really. It well was done. just so clean, so concise, so uh, artisanal almost. It, it was it just a beautiful of, product, right? But you support did. has really fallen by the wayside. I, I, I don't know if it's support, but I think that just adoption seems to be centralizing around TypeScript. Uh, and yeah. CoffeeScript was really nice because it just with the with the white space sensitiveness, you were able to get rid of all of the Chrome. You were get rid of. Um, and so many brackets and parentheses, brackets, and, parentheses and coffee braces. would eliminate like 80% of those. It was great. Yeah. And so you just looked at code. 
it, it yeah. was very simple. Python, Ruby it writes in a very similar fashion. Um, so it was, uh, Ruby's junked up with all these begin and do true. I do not like the begin. Ends, I actually, but. I actually toyed around with this. There was a season I spent like a weekend toying around with making basically like coffee script, but for Ruby. I still uh, think that's a good idea. I still think that's a I, really good idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it could be so beautiful for yeah, I mean, Ruby is so close so to that. Like it doesn't have the white space sensitiveness. All you would need to do is add that white space sensitive and do something about begin and end and it would be well i mean that's that's the same thing those are those are like the parser needs those tokens you replace those with the white space yeah yeah i know but technically what i'm saying is uh, you know Ruby technically def- you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> anywhere that you use okay i'm not sure if it's 100 percent. i'll say almost anywhere that you use begin and end to open and close mm-hmm. um uh, nesting in Ruby, you can actually replace the begin and the end with curly braces. And so, ew, yeah, is anybody doing this? Yeah, I mean, you can, that's what I'm saying. You can Yikes. do it. Yeah. I mean, in a one liner, when you like when you collapse, like let's say you do a map, right. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, you can do a do end or you can use on a one line, you can do curly braces that we mm-hmm. do all the time. Yeah. But like, but most begin and ends, you can actually swap out the, the, the be, yeah, Ew. but it's not, but they're not, it's not, 100%. that would not be considered. They're yeah, not that would synonymous. Not be considered. They're not synonymous. Right. They're still, there is still a difference in terms of uh, precedent and hierarchy. And I don't think you can replace all of them, but you know, they're not there. They're it's a Venn diagram. And the two point is, it's still, it's still an, ex, it's still an explicit token, which yeah. demarks, uh, demarks statements in the parser. Yeah. And so, um, I think, I think it. Ruby would be just, be- and I actually typed out of like, I took a couple of like production uh, files and like tra- hand translate, like what would this look, look like, like or what yeah. could this look like? Um, and it was so beautiful, Frank, it's like so a tear gorgeous. came to my eye. Um, <laughs> Maybe I can love Ruby, but I, I love just coffee was like a. I still, coffee is definitely still around. You can still use it. I was looking at yeah. it for some, for some pet projects and um you can definitely These days, I'd probably it. have to use like conscious in in good faith. I'd I'd have to go to TypeScript, right? The support is there, the community's there. Typing is a thing. By the way, can we talk about? Can we take a tangent? Like we're way off. Of what I mean, you this actually whole thing is, to talk about. Like I don't. All, yeah, this is. I don't actually sidebar, care sidebar. what you wanted to talk about. It's like, sure. Where I'm going I mean, with you this. never do. It's fine. I don't have feelings. The, it's okay. The world. The same people, right? These are the front end people. The people that are all hopped up on their front end lifestyle. Okay. Mm. Are you talking are like these? You're talking about these these froofies, not the in our front end audience. devs. The, the front end devs, these froofies, they like to sit with the French the presses. Co- the French presses, yeah, exactly. they sit at the at the Starbucks or no, coffee French, shop. I'm sorry, actually, French press. I don't know if you know this or not. Passe. Now it's about oh, no. pour overs. Oh, yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. The pour over. That's the okay. Well, I, I, uh, I, you're you're probably closer to this uh, to this audience than I am because I have no idea what that even is. So. You know, good it's for you. So t- okay. You're- Another sidebar, if you would, please. <laughs> I, should, I need to start. I actually need to, to start. I need to actually stack. start nesting and bracing out our, yeah. our thing so that I can unwind okay. it at so, the end. So but go ahead. I didn't know this. This is going to be totally, uh, this is, this is, uh, I am not going to, I'm not going to come out looking uh, good Probably after not. I, after you I ne- tell you this story. I'll be honest. Uh, you never do, but go ahead. It's fine. You know, uh, I I am in, you know, I'm not old, but I get older every day, a white guy from the Northeast. So take from that what you will. I went to California with my wife a few years ago. 
okay, okay this was like, this is like five, it's actually six years ago now. Isn't like, it yeah, funny how we, that all just like, right? I thought it was like, just, oh, it was just, just yesterday. Oh, it was just two, four, six Decades years ago. ago. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we go to California and we find a, a, a coffee shop and I'm like, just give me a coffee. I got off a, an early flight to give me a coffee. And he, mm-hmm. and he says, oh, do you want a, a pour over or something else? And I, you know, whatever. I was like, dude, I just want a coffee. Just give me a coffee. Give me a coffee. And, and he's like, a pour over? Fine. Whatever. You, great. It, look, if it's got caffeine, give it to me. I don't care. Here's your money. Shut up. <laughs> he then, I, it's, it's, it's actually, you, you take uh, like, a, like a mug or something, and there's a little contraption that holds a coffee filter. You put the coffee in the filter, and you literally pour the hot water over the grounds in the filter directly into the mug. which to my mind a machine can do isn't that right (laughs) that's what the coffee machine does and then i wouldn't have had to wait no no no. i am angry i have traveled east to west Mm. i'm i'm tired there was a fat guy in the seat next to me on the flight i just want my damn coffee and now i've got to wait five minutes for him to boil the water and then pour it over i'm like a machine can literally do your job at this point i couldn't i was so incensed and i you know somewhat fairly incensed (laughs) somewhat this this whole this whole organic homegrown uh trend is ha, has now you know collapsed in on itself like you know you know a mobius strip like we have reached the end and come back around because we are now doing the crap that we invented the machine to do the crap for in the first place like you're not actually adding or removing anything you're just overcomplicating what was already established pro like this is ridiculous. and this was by the way this was i was also i'm my experience my experience may have been tainted because this was the same experience where I just asked for a bagel with cream cheese and he handed me a whole cold bagel and a cup of cream cheese. And then when I looked at him, Some like WTF required. bro, he points <laughs> over to the other side of the coffee shop where I have to slice it. I have to put it through the toaster and I got to put the cream cheese but on you it. Get to do it yourself. I was like, very we organic, picked the wrong natural. cafe. Yeah. We picked the wrong. We were not. We were both like in a mood. Anyway, you, you went. So let's cafe. unwind. Let's yeah. unwind the pour over. All right, thing, so that's right? cool. I actually we're had back, a list. Back to front end devs. We're back. We're back with our French press in Ruby Land. Uh, right. Our front end experimented devs sitting with in a the white space shop. sensitive. Yes. Yeah. Um, working off the um, MacBook Air. Nothing else but right. MacBook Air. It has to be the smallest, most minute laptop possible. They need no, to be actually, working from. Very minimalist. Uh, you want. You want a pro to get that M1 goodness. Well, um, yeah, you know actually, what I think I'm the, saying. The M2 is in the new air, I think. So maybe mm. you're right. Anyway, what is interesting to me, the same crowd that's hyped up on TypeScript because of what it provides. Now, what does it provide, Frank? It provides structure and it provides surety. What TypeScript gives you is da, 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 types mm-hmm. so that you know when you compile and test your programs, you know how they're going to run. You know what they expect and where it's going to be. You know what fields exist in what objects at what times and what data you can get out of those. Mm-hmm. This is the same group that still got hard-ons for NoSQL. What I don't understand is why structure and typing are good in your browser but not on your database. 
and I have talked to people. I don't understand it. They come up with these arguments. I don't know if you've if you've gotten into this with anybody. I, like, I don't understand because the arguments they make. Oh no, no sequels because you just throw data in there. I'm like, why aren't you using plain? Why are you using TypeScript? You make a JavaScript object and you just throw data in there. What makes that different? And I I have never gotten a straight answer. I have it's it's completely. Uh, just contradictory thought processes here. Hold on, hold on. So the contradictory thought process is on the one hand, no SQL instead of a proper relational database. RDBMS, yeah. yeah acid and then on the other and hand, so on. And on the, on other, the hand, other hand, TypeScript is great because of the structure in typing. Oh, I mean, th- th- I mean, this... I- <laughs> so, what? Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think it actually makes a little more sense than, than, it, than it first realize because the, the if you're if you're perf- a pure front end person what are you doing you are getting a feed of json you know document uh stuff from the back end like all your data just comes in these json objects right and so the notion of actual data relation uh, is is a little is a little foreign i mean you're not even you you, you don't get that with the data that you get now and so uh, no SQL solutions that just, you know, well, no, we're clearly talking about out. folks. I mean, we're clearly talking about folks that have a foot in both camps, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's full stack to some degree. You're oh, talking you're, about talking, somebody you're that, saying front end now. Right. You said front end. So I was thinking, front well, end. okay. Uh, right. But, 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 but the advocacy is there for the no SQL databases, but yeah, the I mean, more there are, structured front end code. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, Aren't types good everywhere? Question. Now I'm like <laughs> like C++ is my native tongue. Like yeah. that's the first real big boy language I learned here. So right. like maybe I'm coming in with a with a sour take, but it seems to me that if types are good in one part of your system, you might want them everywhere. Why wouldn't they be good elsewhere? No, you you've you've got a valid you make a valid point. And so why would you be so diehard on on NoSQL, which actually issues types and relations and and proper, you know, positioning? In favor, of and I saw I saw a guy on Twitter the other day uh, complaining, like, "Oh yeah, Ruby." Somebody said, "Oh, Ruby's back again," uh, because never of whatever left, reason. Okay. And, and somebody else said, "Well, Ruby never left." And somebody said, "Wake me up when there's types or something." Like, okay, that's a valid argument. You don't want to use Ruby because it's a loosely typed like. Okay, okay I, we can have an intellectual conversation about this. But I've heard other people bash you know, Python and Ruby and so forth, because they're not strongly typed, who are like, yay, Mongo. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I just don't, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, why? why I've never, you- now, I've never put, just to be cards on the table for our other audience. No, wait, we're talking oh, to our audience. Wait. Uh, cards on the table. I've never put like a Mongo into production. Like yeah. I've played with these systems. I've never put one into production. I've never had to deal with the maintenance. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, of, speaking out of out of out of turn here um but i don't think i'm wrong i i don't i don't think you are i mean you're making a valid point about the <clears throat> the dichotomy uh between strongly typed javascript versus very loosely uh unrelated data in your document store um i i think part of it comes back to speed um but if you're not um if you're not classically trained in databases, I, I think this actually might be a um, uh, an evolution thing. If if you don't actually get hands-on direct experience using relational data in a in an application, it's hard to see the benefit until you hit the pain. 
um, because you can do, in theory, you can do all the same things you do it with a relational database. You can do with a NoSQL setup. You know, you can uh, you can have foreign keys, and you can look that stuff up, and you can do maps, and you can do map reduce, and you can you can um, have all that same functionality. The catch is instead of the relational database having the foundations of this, you know, just innately built in, you have to do it yourself in your logic. Like you can't build a query that understands these restrictions and just, you know, sort of spits it out for you. Uh, instead, you have to request the data and then you have to map it yourself, which to a to the other other audience here probably might feel more um, initially accessible because you don't have to learn SQL and you don't have to learn their structures and, and strictures of SQL. So I think there's a lower barrier to entry, similar to the way that, you know, everyone hates on PHP because it's so ugly and flexible and things like that. And like, yeah, well, it still, uh, I don't know if it does anymore, but at one point was running nearly the entire internet because of that low barrier accessibility. I, I wonder if it's something like that. Well. I mean, people still hate PHP, rightfully so, because it's a crap language. <laughs> like, I don't think we need to go into that again. Yeah, PHP I'm not sucks. doing it again. It doesn't um, suck completely. So, yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> no, I, there, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the document stores definitely have a place because there are, there are absolutely times where um, there are absolutely times where your traditional RDBMS is not going to cut it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the reason that, you know, the shift you make is, okay, where are you going to basically, where are you going to do your joins, right? And mm -hmm. that's really the core issue. Yeah. That's, where that's are you going great, to do your joins? That's a great way uh, if to I put can, it. If that's I can really oversimplify it. it. And so you do them in the database with SQL Server, with MySQL, with Postgres, or you do them in your application logic if you're using a Mongo or something, right? Um, when that makes sense is when you're doing a lot of them at, you know, insert web scale meme here. Mm -hmm. right? The problem is for normal developers, Yagni, right? You ain't going to need it. You're not going to get there. I mm -hmm. mean, hell, you want to, uh, uh, what, is, what is a better example of a stable production system with lots of relational data, a huge archive of data, and tons of active users with really strict response, uh, 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 like SLAs, Stack Overflow. And they've always run on an RDBMS, mm -hmm. right? It's like yeah. .NET and SQL Server runs Stack Overflow and all of the other Stack sites and the whole damn company. Uh, so you want to tell me that like your website needs to be web scale and you can't do the SQL server. I mean, these tools can, can scale so far beyond what people think they're capable of. It yeah. just requires a little bit of understanding and a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather have the database do that work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I mean, if you've got everything mapped through and you're using an ORM, you can kind of do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I but I mean, even the ORM. I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? If you if you like typing, stick with SQL. Yeah, and it's because you ain't going to need anything else. Yeah, it's not a. Um, I, I think that that argument goes beyond simply typing. I, I think I see both. I see SQL and NoSQL solutions as both tools in a toolbox, um, and I think that the NoSQL option gets 
overused um, in in certain circles. Uh, why is kind of you know that's that's just that's, cargo just cult, a, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean that's, that's just social factors. It, I think it's social. Just factors. like Node. Yeah. Why the hell? Why the hell? Is so much stuff written in Node because yeah. Node is cool. Because not is because Node. somebody needs the high parallel, uh, low latency multi-threaded throughput like people don't need what node provides in a meaningful way mm -hmm. but it's cool and I, like I, hey my name is chris i like cool things like i you know <laughs> i've over-engineered my share of stuff so i'm not i'm not upset about it um <laughs> but like nodes market share compared to the the subset of use cases that actually require what it does better than other platforms like not even close. Well, I would argue that I mean, Node is not nearly as popular as its package manager. I think that a lot of I, I don't I don't know. Like there are a lot of pa programs and and structures that use npm to act and build, but they're not actually building in Node. You know what I mean? Like they're not actually using Node. Problem. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about Node as a as a backend uh, platform. All right, so all right, so you are being specific about building yeah. and writing node explicitly okay yeah. yeah yeah um which i don't know it comes all the way back around to like if i if i had a chance if i was starting over today and i yeah. was gonna i was gonna make some interactive site today i would have a i would not probably do an spa with an api to be honest with you that's like that has yeah. been kind of my default like knee jerk for the last i don't know 10 or 20 years you have a database you have an application, it produces an API, you have uh, a front-end app that consumes the API. That's how we do things as as big boys, right? That's how If I was going to do it today, like, I don't want that. Like, yeah. I don't want the complexity, right? I'm going to go with either, I'm going to go with something like, uh, and this is where like Meteor, I don't know if Meteor is a thing. We've talked about this in we the past. I don't know Meteor if that's still a thing, but basically- so. People got sick. They're writing now their backends in JavaScript, and they got sick of writing the same code on both sides of the wire, and they said, okay, I'm just going to write it all in JavaScript and then serve some of it to the front end, and then voila. Um, but then enter things like Hotwire, and I, there have been other initiatives like this in the past that have not done nearly as well because they haven't, they haven't executed as well, um, where, great. Now all of my logic is back end and I'm just shipping HTML to the front end. And like, I got to say. That makes the most sense to me. I think that makes there's the most some, sense. There's some, there's something to that. I'm like, that's not something that I roll out without a second thought on every new pro, you know, every time I do project new, that's not my knee jerk. Um, but that's like a major consideration. <laughs> right I, I, just is, just build and and I, for anybody out there that wants to start a side project or wants to experiment with a site or or you're you got a side hustle you're an entrepreneur just go use rails and hotwire build a monolith I'm telling put it you. in a single put it in a single git repo and use hotwire and don't sweat it you're not going to need microservices you're not going to need a different front end just just make it i'm like I don't know. Lately, I've just been on like a rampage of just give me the simplest solution possible. I don't even care if I think it's going to cost me something extra in six months from now. I don't care about six months, Chris. Just ship the simple thing today yeah. rather than over-engineering something that's not going to ship until tomorrow. I yeah. I mean, if, if it's a difference between you having a ready project today versus ready in three months and the difference is that I have to click a submit button and the page refreshes, 
click the submit button, make that page refresh, baby. Just go for it. You can always add that later. Um, but I think that I, I, I am I, now, now we're back into the, I, I mean, geez, Chris, you are just, you are throwing these highballs just constantly <laughs> down the bar at me. Um, Fast and loose. This, now we're back to the, my, why I am so hot on Hotwire because we have been building applications for the last 10 plus years. We've been building applications twice. You have the back end logic. Yeah. And then you have front end single page app. It is ridiculous that we are building this twice. So let's build it once in one place and then have the front end simply display what the back end is doing. That's that is the proper allocation of responsibility. That is that is taking into account the proper location of things. You're not putting a bunch of work on the front end where it doesn't belong. It's just which was part of the calculation and part of why, back back to one of the previous points, part of why Node became such a thing so yeah. quickly and so pervasively because the front-end applications are harder to write. These these SPAs, they're like, they are harder to write than the back-end logic. The user interface is the hardest part of the system. And so, um, and so these people said, okay, where am I spending most of my time? 80% of it's in the front-end. So can I reuse that code to implement the back end and save myself some hassle? And mm-hmm. I get where that comes. Like it comes from a good place and it's, it's some pretty slick engineering when it's done right. Um, but it's, it's JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like I would rather say, look, we're just going to have a simpler front end experience. Cause if you look at, I mean, look at a, look at a, a reasonable site today, uh, like a reasonably modern, well implemented site today versus 10 or 15 years ago doesn't look that different most of them they're not they have forms they have buttons they display text uh that the interface itself has not changed so dramatically in that time there are certain cases where you need some advanced functionality there's some things possible now that weren't then i'm not saying otherwise um but the overwhelming majority of pages written and authored are functionally not different than they were before we had all this garbage. And so that's where like the the appeal of Hotwire, it's been I've been looking at it a little more and and looking at other similar ways to solve the problem. It's been kind of eating at the back of my brain. Um it's just it makes a lot of sense. It makes so much sense. It does. It makes it makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense in the world. Um all right. So backing up CSS preprocessor, get one. It's included in these frameworks like Bootstrap, which is where we started. Um, they will also. Uh, do, do you have any more sidebars before I before I bring us back to the? Well, no, Java, mm-hmm. Java, like TypeScript was the like Java, like get the CSS preprocessor, get, get the, the JavaScript preprocessor, just, whether that's Babel or TypeScript or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, those should already be part of your build pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. JavaScript ones are a little slower than CSS, but still, you're not going to wind it's up. It's bigger. It's more complicated uh, logic. You're, you're not going to wind up sword into. fighting your colleagues right while it compiles. Um, Unfortunately, and then I think I think the ultimate extension of that we just kind of covered a little bit, which is just use a damn framework in the first place. I don't right. think even the other audience is not using a web framework. But I, as I just said, I I 
I am quite confident there is another audience out there that has not used any of these frameworks. No, um, I I refuse. I think we draw. I'm drawing the line. I, if there's an audience are, that's out there hand rolling how to render pages and hand rolling their authentication flow oh, and hand Chris. rolling their ORMs, like we're not going to talk to them. We're above you're, that. You're you're we're, we're elitist here on the refactored podcast. We're not going to address this. Your faith in humanity is uh, both glorious and woefully misplaced. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to spend my time here in this particular seg- sand grain of the galaxy uh, <laughs> talking to those those swine. Um, I love stealing stuff. That's really what it comes yeah, down and, to. And and I love not having to work for really um, pleasant design. Uh, right? Having something out of the box that just looks good enough or just looks nice. And then I can tweak yeah. it to make it look brand on brand is is beautiful but it actually goes beyond that um you know if you're I mean, if you use lay it on these, me so if you use the frameworks for just that you're you're golden right like that's that's still plenty of win on top of that though once you have these frameworks and you're used to working with them and you realize how fast you can put a page together how you how quickly you can wireframe a page together this tool takes on a whole new level because what it allows you to do is to rapidly prototype new features, functions, layouts, etc., in your application as a design and development exercise. And so you're able to put something together and put it in front of your business counterparts to show them what it'll look like. And because you're using a baseline, so you're using the same framework to rapidly wireframe and because it's the same framework that you use actually in production it's going to be really really close to the final product and you did it really fast and you did it inside your existing code base because you already have the the framework hooked up and ready to go why wouldn't you just you know tack on a you know you know feature branch you know, fork a feature branch and start building the page just to demonstrate the page. Like, why would you well, do that's it? That's kind of my else? point. Any web framework you're going to use is probably already got SAS and TypeScript, all this stuff built into the pipeline. So well, turning yeah. it on and using it is like non-issue. Right. Yeah. yeah but that's not, you're, you're missing my point. I'm, sa- I'm like, once you've already got all that in place, I'm talking about the actual day-to-day use. You've got development mm-hmm. benefit, obviously, and, and the pipeline's doing its thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm using the tool I'm using the framework now not just to undergird my my technical requirements and take care of all that crap for me. I'm also using it to as a, as a prototyping wireframe tool in the design phase of any new feature or function. And so I'm able to quickly put the thing together as a no no backend logic. Like I'm just using the framework. If if you look at these like Bootstrap, and Bootstrap has all these samples when you download the code, you can look at them. It yeah, get- this is a non-argument to me cuz you're talking what? about an established project and I'm going to prototype some new feature for my my business partner, right? Whether I hand-rolled my site H, you know, front end or not, I still have the tools to quickly put together a mock-up page. I, I don't think that argument holds water. I think the argument is you didn't have to spend weeks up front getting to a point where you had a baseline for your site that looked not like vomit. Yes, but I also think that um, having the having the full toolkit of available modules and components and things like that, I, I think you are, again, if I'm going from a 
if I have a project with one of these as a, as a foundation to a project that doesn't, the notion of wireframing out a potential new idea inside the application proper during the development phase when things are highly volatile and very highly subject to change, you're not going to use your native site. You're going to use an actual wireframing tool. There are tons of these design sites that you can use, like um, Lucid Chart is is uh, the one that I like the most. But there are, I mean, Draw.io. There's a ton of these different things. Um, you're going to use a tool like that that's intended for the for the wireframing process. But if you've got one of these frameworks at the foundation, you can use it to actually do the wireframe. Directly. But that's not what wireframing means. Like mm. if you're if you want to try to have like a pixel perfect rendering of your thing, that's not a wireframe. I'm not saying wireframe like you. explicitly avoids any sense of style for like information architecture and page placement. Well, you're okay. So we're getting into the philosophical, um, the philosophical end of this, and and I think I, you're not wrong. I don't disagree with you. I think it's it, it depends on situation and audience. If I'm building a new feature or function inside of a very uh, inside of an established application, it's going to fit the style of that site, and so the notion of having of actively removing. But again, even if I because I have hand rolled front end frameworks like this before, mm -hmm. I think we all well maybe we all haven't, but it, no, I was I dumb enough to have. do it once upon a yesterday. I did too, um, yep. and it was still quick and easy to make them. I don't see what your point. Like it was still easy to make a new page with a mockup. That's why you have the framework so that new pages are easy. But that's so I'm not sure what you're there's I'm, nuance in what you're saying. I'm not sure where it is. <laughs> Maybe I'm talking too much to that other that other audience. Um, I'm looking past the immediate technical benefits to the um, less well-defined and less obvious um, business and design benefits that you can use this thing uh, to to put something together um, rather quickly. Uh and have it be, because you're using the underpinning tech, have it be very close to to finished product without and and still be able to absorb any volatility. You're talking about the changes. upfront. You're not talking about a like a prototype of a new feature to an existing app. You're talking about yeah. a new app. I'm talking no. I'm talking about either. I'm talking about either. I mean, I think that the well, no, I, that's because that's where my pushback is. If you're talking about the new app, then yeah, what you're saying like is maybe the only and biggest like if you really that's, had to boil well, down yeah, the list for a new app that's huge. it i don't have to spend three months reinventing all that crap you know mm -hmm. that's and i'm sold right but again once you have an established app prototyping something new is going to be fast with or without the bootstrap right because uh, yeah, you well, would have had to have reinvented that along the way uh, okay so there's there's our distinction i with i'm saying Remember, we're talking to that other audience who is not using this now. And what I am saying is without this framework in place, this rapid prototyping of an established in-app, of an established application, okay? Uh, doing rapid prototyping without the framework in an established app is, can be, not always, but can be very hard. That can be a significant lift to the point where you won't do that. You would rather, because it's faster and easier, do it outside. And it could be a whiteboard. It could be one of these online wireframe apps. But you're doing that because the it's the difficulty curve is lower there than it would be inside. And so I'm just further reinforcing that with these wireframe, <clears throat> excuse me, with these frameworks, 
that bar goes way down and you're actually able to move your prototyping inside the native app, no matter how far afield this new feature or function may be, because you have everything right right there. Yeah. So you're not wrong. I mean, like I'm not disagreeing with you. Like you're you're right. Like if I'm if I'm building a new app, like the you know, the 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 payoff there is huge, right? It's ginormous. It's yeah. ginormous, yeah. right? If I'm doing a new feature for an established app with or without the framework, like it's there's less because like if I there's already title, something there, like but, if I make a title and a form with an input and a button, mm-hmm. like I've already got baseline styles that make that look like the rest of the app. Yeah. So I think what you're saying though is that like to start off, if you're building a new app, you may only use like thirty percent of what Bootstrap has to offer. If Here's you're a demoing a new feature. Yes. Uh, you may need to pull from the deeper toolbox that Bootstrap has to offer rather than at that time having to implement some. Correct. You know, so which in if that's what you're talking about, then I then I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so you, you see what I'm saying? So I'm going to reflect it back to you just to make sure that you and I and the other like, audience, let's say your site didn't have a drop down menu or a progress bar or an image gallery like that's part of your new feature. You get to pull that off the shelf. You get to rather pull that off the shelf rather than hand yeah. roll. Exactly right. Yeah. So, like all of that stuff is right outside the box, as opposed to my hand roll. If I hand roll the first thirty percent, and now I need something in the other seventy, I have to hand roll that, and you don't need to do that. It's it's all there. Literally every, you know these these frameworks have now matured to the point. Again, you mentioned twenty twelve. I think even that is probably being a little on the conservative side. I mean, Bootstrap's been around, I think, longer than that. Um, they cover every conceivable scenario, every realistic, commonly available scenario. You're going to find the, the components you need to put something together inside these frameworks. And so you have everything you need. All you got to do is just plop it on the page and you're off to the races. Um, yeah. And that design, that effort of doing it inside of your existing site, inside the existing frameworks is great on a business side for them to really visualize what it will look like in the confines of your application. And it helps facilitate the conversation in a way that non-native wireframing tools cannot. Now, that's notwithstanding what you said about how wireframing is designed to actually focus in on the, the flow and the elements and actually remove branding and things like that. That is true. That is absolutely true. But if that's not a concern, you know, we've got an established brand. We have an established site. You know, we're not doing a refresh. We're just adding this. Thing. Well, are you wireframing? Are you prototyping? Yeah, that's where I think you know okay. when you move to that's that. That's a fair distinction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wireframing versus prototyping, I guess, is a fair distinction there. Sure. Can we? Would you? Would you be amenable to like a hard gear shift before we get out of here? I am. Yes. I I covered everything. Go get Bootstrap. Uh, that would be. That's my. That's my pick. Go go get that or any of the others. I'll link a massive list of like I think it's fifty of them. That I found. That, uh, yeah, seriously, there. I didn't even know that there were that many of these things out there. We are not so, going to list fifty. No, no, we're going to give you some. a link that'll list fifty, and you can check that oh, out okay. yourself on your yeah, own time. Yeah. Super augmented, silent, and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. All right, hard shift. Go. We got feedback, y'all. Yeah. This is this is a this is a this is a, a this is a big matzo ball hanging out here. Mm-hmm. All right. Now this and this one, by the way, this is anonymous. I have, and I think uh, you could understand why this would be anonymous because it sounds like something that comes from a place of emotional rage, which is, which is like right near where I live these days. So I'm into it. <laughs> so this is, uh, <laughs> this is, a, 
So this person went anonymous and further said, you know, I'm just uh, asking for a friend. Like we're, we're, we're like that level of removed on this thing. Is, this is, is sort of what this we're is, going for. This is a non. This okay. is a non. All right. Uh, go for it. A non. <laughs> and it's not a question. It's a, it's a, it's a statement. And I think, I think that just says enough. Okay. I have a department which I am dependent upon that is always dealing with emergencies. That's the title. Ooh. I have a department I'm dependent upon, which is always dealing with emergencies. So here's the body. Here's the, here's the message. Anand says, uh, I have a department which I'm dependent upon that is always dealing with emergencies. While they may claim to be focusing upon the most important things, they may not even realize that the policy they have set can simply be restated as, quote, no thanks, we don't have any time to do anything proactive. We'll just wait for it to become a crisis. <laughs> Unquote. <laughs> so Anand, so Anon, like clearly there's some other, and I don't know what department, I assume they're in some kind of a software department. So maybe this is yeah. a finance or HR or IT or operations or who knows what this is. It's we, another I, you know, department that's not the engineering department. Some other presume. department, but yeah. they need like, like Anon needs something from this other team, but they're so busy fighting fires Mm-hmm. It sounds like what Anand's saying here is that, you know, the so he's he's actually going farther than that, though. He's actually saying the policy is no thanks. Wait for it to become an emergency and then we'll deal with it. That's actually like that's that's actually the response you're getting. That's actually that's, the response. I, no, he's saying he's Anand says they may not even realize that the policy they have set can oh. simply be stated as no thanks. We do not have time to do anything proactive. We will just wait for it to become a crisis. Right. They've become they have become so um so entrenched in uh the reaction the reaction yeah. workflows that it is yeah. now just just wait for it to happen rather than you know being proactive about it. Yep. I. So is this just lamenting or is there a question about how to deal with it or that's it? That's it. That's, <laughs> that's the it. Thing. That's the feedback. Uh, I think, you know, so what I would say is that it sounds like it sounds like that department is spiraling. Right. Oh, yeah. So 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 they're in crisis mode and they can't get out of it. And because they can't get out of it, they can't do anything proactive to prevent tomorrow's emergency, which guarantees tomorrow will have a new emergency. Mm hmm. And it sounds like they're just circling the drain. Yeah, but I will actually. Um, so, how, I mean, the bigger question here is, um, you know, how do you fix it? And you start. I think if if it's as bad as this is being described, I think you start with the leadership, and you. I mean, that leader has to be removed. I, I, I mean, you know, corrective measure. If this is if this is so endemic and has been around for as long as it sounds like, then. The leadership is the problem and the leadership needs to be removed from the from the equation because that is I mean, the, 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 that's where the, you know, the buck stops with the leader and, uh, you know, they are allowing this to happen. Uh, a, a good leader for for these for a department, you know, is going to, yes, understand emergencies, but you're also going to put process in place to prevent that yeah. from happening. And, and yeah. you have to you have to do both. Um Effective, so, uh, effective processes, right? I yeah, think we've all effective. worked somewhere where the right. response to an incident is like, oh, we're going to put some new policy in place. And then either nobody follows it or the policy, policy really doesn't, 
the, yeah. the policy really doesn't answer for the thing that actually needs correcting, right? But I yeah. think you're right generally. Like the sad, the sad thing is, I think this is a failure in leadership. Yeah, this is um, a leadership. Now, failure. where I get 100, where I would get confused though is like, okay, you there's another department, mm-hmm. so where is this shared management? Like, like no, is this a different team with the same manager, or is this like is their manager somebody other than your manager? Because at some point. The the failure in leadership may be more than that, right? Like, are is is a non not properly escalating the concern through his chain, so mm-hmm. that his boss can go and and deal with the other leader and make sure that eyes are paid where they need to be paid. Or I, I'm just kind of get I'm I'm extrapolating in different directions because I don't know where a non's coming from here. But it sounds like to me, it sounds like they're just simply lamenting having to deal with this other with this other department and there oh, it's is a, a lament for sure. <laughs> and there is a, well, there's a, there is a, um, a ripple effect, uh, you know, from, from this, if they're always fighting fire and you, you're trying to be proactive and, and address something early, but they only wait for it to be a problem. That means that you need to wait for it to be a problem for you. And so now yeah. that be, that or, bad behavior pushes its way out. Anon, which is also a non needs to, a non may need to figure out how to, uh, I know, I know, sales and marketing and PR is kind of anti-engineering to some degree, but uh, maybe one one help, one hint for a non is like figure out how to make your stuff an emergency. Yeah, there's that. There's you that. Pl- right. I mean, and I've seen that th- those kinds of. Um, so I've seen where uh, you know individuals on certain teams are uh, are bottlenecks for getting things processed and approved, and the way that you have to get around that is uh it depends on the personalities and depends on the you know the the accepted ceremony sometimes it's hammering and pestering that person endlessly day after day until they do it mm. uh other times it is uh escalating to their boss after they don't do it like yeah. I mean, there's all i mean that's again it's all, that's all people problems none of that crap should be necessary and so the fact that everything's an emergency the fact that there's these bottlenecks so the leadership has to has to change, and so um, you know this person should do what they can to one insulate themselves and wall themselves off from this team as much as possible, uh, raise the issue with the right people where appropriate, uh, and you know see what they can do to effectuate change from the outside in. But you and I both know how you know that is a massive uphill climb if you don't have somebody who's listening uh, on the other side. Um, That's tough. And, and sometimes, I mean, and a lot of times, I mean, these leaders don't live in a vacuum by themselves. Somebody else approved them, you know, and, you know, the problem usually extends beyond a single individual. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it, there's only, um, there's only so much you can do. And um, at some point me- you may have to just make, you, you may have to just make the change. I, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I, got, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Vernon Hill, who founded Commerce Bank, which was a big bank in the North. There's several different commerce banks. This one was founded in the Northeast of the U.S. Uh, he sold it. It's now TD Bank. Everywhere you see TD Bank in the U.S., it was Commerce Bank uh, originally. And I met the founder, Vernon Hill. And he. I was having trouble with my job at one point, And I was actually very similar to this. I was trying to figure out how to na- navigate these kinds of waters. And he told me, Something has to change. And if the company doesn't change, you make the change. You being the change means you leave. Like there is just, yeah, if the situation's untenable, you just have to like, there's nothing you yeah. can do. 
you, I, and yeah, you show it with your um, feet. I, so I think for me, and I'm I'm unfortunately an eternal optimist, and I I, I say I say unfortunate because I, I I actually do dislike the fact that I'm an optimist because it it causes blind spots. I think for me, it comes down to: Do you think uh, do you think change is possible? If you think change is possible for the better, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. uh, change is always possible for the worse. If you think change for the better is possible then figure out what that would need to be in, and then start advocating for it, make some presentations, make some appeals, have some meetings, try to get try to get people at least to agree that there exists a problem. Mm-hmm. And that, sh- that, that may help generate a discussion where then there's a forum to discuss how to address it. Um, I think most people most of the time are fairly reasonable. And if, if everybody agrees there's a problem, people are receptive to trying to fix it. And you may run into hard constraints. Right where, you know, uh, there there could be reasons why it's not fat enough. Maybe you have a stubborn uh, uh, BOFH boss, or maybe you have a, um, a budget control. Who knows what it is? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, though, if you think change is possible, advocate for it and and be the force for good. Your team will thank you. Um, be the change you want to see in the world, and all that, right? And all that right, stuff, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then rainbows, and then, like. And- if you don't think change is possible, then find someplace else to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that sounds like, because it sounds like what happens is those emergency, your issues that could be preventable become emergencies. That's going to have an impact on you and your team, right? Right. And so you I don't know to- what emergency means here, but yeah. uh, there's a sense that like there's some there's impact, right? There's yeah. probably stress. There's, you know. Well, emergency at this point, like things. because of the lack of planning and scoping and proper processes, it's all reactionary. And so, yeah. you know, like we say emergency, but it's really just, you know, the crap comes in and has to be done now, now, now. Like we've, you know, we're, we're be actually, you know, we can't plan because we're behind. We've got to do it now. It's all reactionary and yeah. you can never get ahead. Um, that's, I mean, that's pure leadership failure. It's pure leadership yeah. failure. Um, so, Isolate your team from it. Isolate your work from it. Stay away from it. Make what changes you can. If it continues to be an untenable situation that has no, shows no chance of changing, then you change and yeah. do do your colleagues a huge favor as you're walking out the door. Be honest in your exit interviews. Like companies ask yeah. for exit interviews, and a lot of times employees, I think, not foolishly, not unwisely try to paper over the actual reasons that they're, that they're leaving because they don't, you know, they don't want to make waves and they don't want to burn the bridge. That's very smart. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to do that, but there are ways of giving the feedback and, and keeping the relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you know, you separate the people from the situation. It's like, look, so I, I, like- I, yeah. And that, that's the key, right? Separate the people from the situation and the responsibilities. Right. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying, well, yeah, this is always broken because John's an asshat and doesn't do what he's <laughs> supposed to do, say that, you know, X team routinely fails this responsibility, which has these knock on impacts. And so right. make it make it dispassionate and don't use names, use responsibilities or teams or titles or, you know, make it make it non-personal. Um because mm-hmm. really, the exit interviews are, are are typically done either by the hiring manager or HR, right? If it's your yeah. hiring man, if it's your manager, they know. <laughs> so you know, chances you could probably be honest with them. Chances yeah. are pretty good, unless you're the team, right? Maybe your boss is somebody from the other audience. Who knows? Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, or it's to HR directly, right? In which case, there's always uh, you know a level of discretion there that you can count on. So yeah, so just be just be uh, honest. I mean, plain spoken, you know, and respectful about it, but explain you know what the situation was. Um, that stuff, unfortunately, especially in larger organizations, has a has a has a better tendency of getting things done than people sitting there. When yep. people are voting with their feet, that's when management mm-hmm. sits up and listens, which is unfortunate. And so if you're in management, yeah. don't freaking do that. Don't be an idiot and, you know, get out in front of these things and, and, you know, make yourself open and available to this kind of constructive feedback and nip these problems in the bud. That's well. And if, and if management, cause, cause what's going to happen if it, if it burns a non out and he winds up leaving and leaves a, a re- responsible exit interview, mm-hmm. Eventually, somebody else is good. somebody else is going to get that job. They're going to burn out, right? Um, eventually, there's going to be like enough smoke where the the organization has mm-hmm. to understand that there's going to be fire. And if the organization's not looking to to put it out, then then I think it doesn't matter whether you think change is possible, right? If the organization is actively ignoring all of this smoke, mm-hmm. get out because it's not a healthy culture. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times these issues don't, even when they see the smoke or when they're notified of the smoke, they won't do anything because they're not seeing actual negative consequences for it. They hear people complaining, but they see that the work is still getting done to their satisfaction and that's good enough for them. And well, that's back to, that's back to make it an emergency, right? Make it an emergency for the business. Look, if we don't do, if we don't address this issue, these are the cost overruns. This is the excess risk. These are the fees we had to pay. This is the downtime, you know, translated into finance mm-hmm. and you, <laughs> you will begin to get action on it. Yep. I, I mean, that's, you can, you can do that too. I think it's, uh, but, but if they're, if, if the business doesn't, um, actually feel pain, then that's a problem too. And so the way that you get around that yeah. is don't cover is where I was going for this. Like don't cover for oh, other people's failures. Yeah. Like if, if there, if a thing is going to blow up and it was somebody else's responsibility, I mean, saving a friend is one thing, but you know, continually covering for a whole other department, screw that. Let them sit on their own failures. As a, as a matter of course. Yeah. Yeah. You help each, you're on a team to be a team, right? That, that's that you got to help people out. Right. But, but what you're talking about is like a habit of continually protecting some team that doesn't deserve it. That's yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, definitely yeah. do that. Well, Anand, uh, sorry you're in that situation. That sucks to hear. Uh, I hope it gets better, or I hope uh, somewhere else is better. Um, yep. If you have, uh, you got war stories, I'd like to hear them. Uh, we'd I like to hear them stories. here on the Refactored show. Uh, so go to refactored.work. You can find links there to email us, uh, feedback at refactored.work. You can even send us a voice recording, you know, voice memo and email that to us. We'll play on the show. Um, but uh, you can go to refactor.work for show notes, archives, recommendations, all sorts of shenanigans over there. Uh, Frank's got a web presence, uh, hotcoals, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. And I'm on the interwebs at chris.tonkinson.com. The best of my reckoning, this has been episode 74, recorded June, t- July 12th, 2022. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Thanks, man. See you later.